As we migrate through the Advent season, have you made proper preparations for Christmas? Do you know the holy days of obligation and why are they obligatory? We'll look at the Sacrament of Confirmation and address questions about baptism. These topics and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Always good to see you, Bishop. Hey, it's good to be with you today, John. We're getting that much closer to Christmas, and I was at Mass the other day, and Father asked the congregation, are you prepared? And he said some things that were rather sobering, and it was a reminder that we need to have our souls in the right place, and we can do that through the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Yeah, those are some really good points, John. And the season of Advent can be kind of a battle in the sense that uh, there's so much going on where spiritually we're supposed to be preparing our hearts and our souls to receive the Lord again at Christmas, to welcome Him and celebrate His birth, but then, of course, preparing to greet Him at the end of time or at the end of our lives. And then we we battle with everything else that's going on with the preparations for, for Christmas, with the decorating and the, the the parties and the the shopping and the cooking and all those wonderful things, but it can be kind of a battle between our spiritual preparation and the practical things that we need to prepare for Christmas. So important to stay focused. Well, and I want to open up this program by throwing this public service announcement out there that there are penance services all around the Diocese of St. Petersburg to help you get prepared for the uh, Christmas celebration. Check out your local parish bulletins. They will have penance services around each deanery within the diocese, so uh, be sure to check those out. Really, when you think about it, Christmas and Easter, the church really goes out of its way to, to make that sacrament available. And there's almost no excuse not to go, you know, because even if you aren't able to attend your own parish's reconciliation service, neighboring parishes have them. And Maybe you feel more comfortable going to another parish where maybe the priests don't know you there. Right. <laughs> if, well, if that could be a block to celebrating the sacrament, then uh, don't let it stop you. Go go to a different parish, and the the priests there will welcome you. And I even saw on your calendar that you're going to be at one of the local high schools uh, offering the sacrament. I sure am. You know, as a bishop, uh, I don't get to hear confessions or celebrate reconciliation uh, very often, certainly not as often as I did as a priest and a pastor. And and I miss it because it's a very beautiful sacrament, and you actually see people's lives changed in that sacrament. But I do get invited sometimes where they need help at some of our schools and and high schools where they need an extra priest or two. I'm I'm happy to assist. What's the good news this week? It seems like every week uh, or two that we visit, there's something always positive going on in the life of Bishop Parks. What's going on? One of the great things uh, that we just celebrated in our diocese, I was at a gathering with our catechetical leaders, our, our faith formation leaders. Those are the individuals in our parishes that lead CCD or faith formation, youth ministry, those types of uh, ministries. And um, they gathered for a, an Advent day of reflection, so I was able to celebrate Mass with them. But one of the great things was at the end of Mass, we recognized those who have been involved in that ministry for many years. So uh, I presented awards or recognition to some individuals who have been in that ministry from anywhere from five to 40 years. Wow. Can you imagine? 40 years of uh, teaching the faith to others and spreading the good news. That is good news, John. <laughs> that Absolutely. And that becomes generational, where you're teaching a parent and then potentially teaching their child, too. 
Earlier this month, the church celebrated the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Is that a holy day of obligation, and is it a feast? Well, it, first of all, it is a holy day of obligation, uh, usually, John, and I'll explain that in just a moment. But technically, on the liturgical calendar, we would refer to it as a solemnity. So for the different celebrations on our liturgical calendar, there's different ways that we liturgically celebrate those days. So we have memorials, which can, which can either be optional or obligatory. We have feast days. Uh, and then we have solemnities. Solemnities would be the highest celebration and would be the most complete liturgy celebrated on those days. Immaculate Conception this year fell on a Sunday. And so when it falls on a weekend, it's not a, a holy day of obligation. It was transferred to Monday, December 9th, but again, was not a required day that we, we should go to Mass. We want to give it that own highest standard, as you, as you say. Some of the other days of obligation that I didn't know until I did a little bit of research, the Ascension of Jesus, I think I looked on one calendar, it was like late May, but is that one of those that depends on when Easter falls? It, it does. It's uh, 40 days after Easter, so depending on what day Easter is, that would determine the date of, of the Lord's Ascension. Well, and what else do we have? Well, we would have August 15th, and that's a fixed date when we celebrate the Assumption of our Blessed Mother Mary uh, into Heaven. November 1st, again, a fixed date. That one doesn't change. November 1st is the Feast of All Saints, and the final two are the Immaculate Conception, which we just spoke about on December 8th, and then finally Christmas, which we're preparing to celebrate on December 25th. And again, of course, that one never changes. So. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the Immaculate Conception. That The term causes some confusion. What's the background? Sure. Well, you're, you're right in pointing that out because this is probably one of the teachings or beliefs which is most greatly misunderstood uh, in the Catholic Church. Uh, many people think it's when Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb uh, without sin. But actually, the Immaculate Conception celebrates when Mary was conceived in her mother's womb free from original sin. So uh, that's the distinction there. The Lord, your God, was preparing a place to bring forth his son into the world. And to do that, he created Mary and gave her the particular dignity and blessing of being free of that original sin to be the immaculate conception, to be that pure womb which would bring forth the Son of God. And this is one of the newer celebrations, or at least proclaimed, although it had been celebrated centuries earlier, as I understand it. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, a lot of these teachings and beliefs have been recognized or celebrated in, in previous decades or centuries, but then aren't officially defined until a later date, a later point. Switching gears now, there's a new movie coming out. I think Netflix is releasing it. It's called The Two Popes, and it's a focus on Pope Francis and Pope Benedict XVI. And I'm intrigued by it because, of course, I work for the church, and I know a lot of Catholics are intrigued by it. Whenever we see these religious films, these religious productions, sometimes you have to take them kind of with a grain of salt. You don't know what's coming. Have you seen any of the trailers for these movies? You know, I'm aware of the movie, John, but I, I don't know a lot about it and haven't seen the trailers for it. But I would just in invite our listeners, as you said, to always be cautious when we see these movies that concern our faith or some aspect of priesthood or, or our beliefs in recognizing that Hollywood produces a drama. So they're trying to sell tickets. And so it's not always going to be, in fact, most often is not an exact historical account of what occurred. 
And I suspect with this one, it involves the, the transition between the two popes and how that took place. And of course, we, we don't know all the, uh, the all, all of the ins and outs. Discussed. So Hollywood probably is going to try to, to boost that drama a little bit so it would not be uh, necessarily historical. You know, I can't imagine the bishop going to a lot of movies at the theater on a Sunday afternoon, but... Do you ever watch these in the in your house, or you know, especially the religious ones? Or yeah, well, I, it might surprise you, John. When I was a younger priest, it's something I enjoyed doing, particularly on my day off, would be to go see a movie, keep in touch with what the popular things were in the theater. Unfortunately, today I don't see a whole lot that I'm interested sure. in going to see. But if it is something that involves our faith, I will try to either see it or at least be aware of what it's about, you know, so that if somebody approaches me or it comes up in conversation, then I'm able to discuss it. But no, I, I don't really watch too many movies today. Yeah. Well, it's football season. That's true. <laughs> More important things to do. <laughs> That's right. You know, it's not often that the church endorses a lot of movies, uh, a lot of uh, cinema productions. But I know the USCCB has an office that does that kind of thing. And they're not necessarily all pigeonholed as religious movies. There are certain standards upholding the human spirit and uh, something that is positive, something that might challenge you to rise above a certain dilemma and, and has a good moral or theological message. Sure. I mean, we as a church want to try to guide people to see things uh, that are good for them, that'll help them to get to heaven. You know, when you think about it, how many movies today have a very positive message about the church? <laughs> right. the, the reality is that most of them focus on either problems, issues, scandals, uh, intrigue, uh, misunderstandings within the church, as opposed to all the uh, the blessings and the great things about the Catholic Church today. Right. But just general movies in general, we, we don't want to encourage people to see things that are immoral or um, you know, use foul language or sexual situations, you know, because uh, again, our, our role is to try to help people to get to heaven, not, not to uh, put things in front of them that'll serve as a stumbling block. The sacrament of confirmation will be really kicking into high gear in the spring. Our, our sacraments that we have been talking about, we've, we've discussed a little bit about reconciliation, and we've talked a little bit about baptism. The next one in line is confirmation, and confirmation. Uh, explain that to our listeners a little bit about what that is, because some faith traditions, it just sticks with baptism and you're, you're done, but the Catholic Church and some of the mainline Protestant churches do have the sacrament of confirmation. Yeah, so the confirmation is one of our seven sacraments, and what it is in its essence is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, and the gifts of the Spirit upon an individual. So typically this would be, in, in our tradition, would be celebrated you know, maybe around anywhere from 7th to maybe 12th grade, so kind of as a teenager. But in the Eastern rites of the Catholic Church, it would actually be celebrated at, with baptism. Really? So uh, a baby, when they're baptized in the Eastern rite, would be baptized, they would be confirmed, and they would actually receive the Eucharist for the first time. They'd receive all three sacraments of initiation. But we reserve confirmation as a sacrament to be celebrated at a later age, like I said, usually between 7th and 12th grade. I always took it as like having a greater understanding of what happened at baptism since I was a baby or a young person, and now I've grown into a little bit more awareness. Yeah, it's, it, it is that, but it's more than just having an understanding. Actually, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
the grace of the Holy Spirit is conferred upon those that are confirmed. And that helps to lead them to a greater knowledge and understanding of the sacrament, but also of the other aspects of our faith. But isn't the Holy Spirit already sealed upon them at baptism? It is. We do receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, But the confirmation is a specific uh, sacrament which gives those gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to refer to it as a booster shot, but, but it certainly is an outpouring of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. A lot of people say, well, where's that in the Bible? I know it's in, uh, I think, in Hebrews chapter 2, and I think there's some passages in Acts as well. How is this confirmation different? You do a laying on of the hands at this, and you also do it at, at ordinations. Do you do it at weddings too? Is there always a laying on of the hands? No, um, the sacraments where we would lay hands would be, um, there's three, I believe, uh, would be the anointing of the sick, would be confirmation, and then, of course, the sacrament of holy orders or ordination. And you're correct, there is a biblical foundation for this sacrament, which is found in the Acts of the Apostles, as well as the letter to the Hebrews, where those who had not yet received the fullness of the Spirit, they laid hands on them and prayed for the Spirit to come upon them. So it's, um, as far as the difference, there is a difference in all of those laying on of hands, and really it's the intention of the uh, minister or the priest or who, who's administering the sacrament and the prayers that accompany it uh, that, that actually affect the sacrament. You know, when, the, when their kids are the, the age that you talked about, seventh to high school and maybe even beyond, sometimes the parents say, you got go to gotta go to confirmation. And maybe the, the, the child doesn't want to. How much pressure should a, a parent put upon a child to do that? Well, you're right. That does come up from time to time. And what I would say to a parent is uh, I don't think you ever want to force a child to have a sacrament. I mean, they should enter into it properly disposed, which means that they're open to the graces that they're going to be receiving. I would try to help them to understand why it's good for them, why it's important for them to receive the sacrament and to have an appreciation for that and ultimately to respect your role as their parent in knowing what's good for them. So sometimes there is resistance. I mean, if a a child is just going to be obstinate and be disruptive during the classes and the formation and the retreat, is it better to to put up with that or to say, well, maybe we need to wait a couple years uh, when there's greater maturity? Can you be confirmed twice? In other words, if I grew up Episcopalian and then came into the Catholic Church or Lutheran, and came into the church. Do I have to go through confirmation again, or is that the RCIA? Yeah, no, that's uh, unlike baptism, confirmate, which we do uh, accept from other Christian denominations as long as it's with water and the Trinitarian formula, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Confirmation does need to be conferred again when somebody becomes Catholic from another Christian tradition. It's a proper sacrament to the bishop who can then delegate it to priests if he so desires. So, But it does need to be repeated and is part of the rite when somebody comes into full communion in the Catholic Church. So when I was sponsor for a young man, and I don't remember this at, at my confirmation, but when we approached you, I had my hand on his, uh, my right hand on his right shoulder, and I held up his saint name. You said Saint Cosmos, and then the words that you say, I don't be, remember. Be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. How come you didn't say his name versus this, instead of, the, you know, you said the saint's name? 
So certainly uh, an option would be for somebody to keep their own name if it's a Christian name. Uh, we still do ask that for confirmation names that they be Christian. So I would say that somebody could, for example, your name is John, so you could keep that name. You know, if you wanted your confirmation name to be John, that would be fine. It would be acceptable. We remember that the saints, of course, are those that were like us, fully human, sinful, but yet overcame their weaknesses with the cooperation of God's grace to live lives of virtue and holiness. So when we take on a saint's name, uh, we're hoping to imitate that virtue in our own lives. So that's why we might choose another name. I mentioned laying on the hands a moment ago, but we also use the oil of chrism that you blessed and, and what consecrated at the chrism mass earlier in the year. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, when we celebrate the chrism mass, which is right before Easter, usually during Holy Week, we bless and consecrate the oils that will be used during sacramental celebrations throughout the year. So that would be the oil of the sick, the oil of catechumens, and the sacred chrism, which is used at baptism, is used at confirmation, and is also used at in the uh, sacrament of holy orders when the priest's hands are anointed. And again, I want to remind the listeners that the oils and the candles and so forth come from a rich tradition uh, going back to the Old Testament when oils were used for kings, for healing of the sick. We read uh, about Jesus' accounts in the New Testament. It's not just something that the church made up. No, there is a, a tradition there which goes back to anointing, as you said, prophets and, and, and kings with oil. Of course, oil was known to have healing qualities, which is why we use it in the sacrament of anointing of the sick. Uh, so there is a, a rich tradition that we follow even today. What happened to getting slapped on the cheek? <laughs> you know, probably some of our more mature <laughs> listeners <laughs> remember that from their own confirmation. And, and more often it was a tap on the cheek, John, not, a, not an <laughs> not actual a slap, although I think that gets enhanced throughout, oh, sure, throughout history sure. and memory. But today it's uh, meant to be a sign of peace. And so we actually shake the hand of the, the, the confirmand and, and say, peace be with you. And they say, and with your spirit. But it was meant, uh, I, I think, in the when it was done during the rite, it was meant as a way of trying to strengthen the person or send them forth to commission them, uh, strengthen them for the Christian journey. Well, you know? I think that's part of your, that was part of your message at the homily. And share some of that because the it's not just a an age sacrament, but, you know, there's a great responsibility when you become confirmed. Well, what you're saying is that I not only believe what the church teaches, but I intend to live the life that I've been called to live through Jesus Christ and, and by God and through my baptism. So the, um, the sacrament of confirmation gives us a help to be able to live that holy and virtuous life. Again, not that we're we don't have weaknesses and we don't fall, but that we get these grace in the sacrament, which helps us to live that life we've been called to live. And it takes great courage to, to live in this world today. You've got to have the Holy Spirit to get through it. Especially for our young people who today, I think, have to make choices and decisions that, quite honestly, uh, you and I maybe didn't have to make. They're faced with unique situations today that are, are unique to this age, and it does require courage to, to say no to certain things that we know we shouldn't be doing, and of course, to say yes to other things that we know we should do, like going to church, going to Mass every Sunday. Have you ever been stumped by a saint? <laughs> uh, seen a name come up and you're like, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, after... Uh, 
after eight years, almost eight years of being a bishop and doing confirmations, you see all kinds of names. Some of them I, I don't recognize, but I'll go look them up later on afterward. But but typically, they're, they're more common saints that you see. Sometimes I have a hard time pronouncing them because I don't get them beforehand. Sure. So when somebody approaches me and they hold up the card, you know, I have to think quickly. <laughs> don't want to make a mistake. Oh, uh, wow. There was a rumor that there was this Stump the Bishop website to try to and I went I went looking for the site. I could not find it, but I did find one thing that a, a youth group or a, a young adult group uh, was doing to stump the bishop. The bishop came to their group, and what they would do was hand the bishop an object. It could be anything. I'll use a coat hanger, for example. They would hand you a coat hanger, and you had a certain amount of time to come up with some sort of biblical principle or teaching that you could do a homily with that. So, John, uh, coat hanger, you trying to stump me today? (laughs) (laughs) I would say no. The way I'd respond to that is, you know, a coat hanger, it's kind of a basic shape is like a triangle. So it might remind us of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, one essence. That's usually a a way of depicting the Trinity is in the form of a triangle, which simulates uh, or is simulated in a coat hanger. How's that? There you go. That's why you sit where you do, and I sit where I do. You can find God in everything, I reckon. There you go. (laughs) Let's go to our Growing in Love, Growing in Faith listener mailbag segment. This is a follow-up from the sacrament segment we had on baptism a couple of weeks ago. It sort of relates to a question I asked about confirmation. What do you say to a parent who says they'll wait to baptize their child and let their child decide where and how they want to worship and believe? Well, that sounds nice, but uh, the reality is that we want to give God's people his grace as soon as possible. And so we practice infant baptism for the most part in in the Catholic Church. And the reason for that is uh, to, to give this newborn child God's grace immediately or as soon as possible. Uh, the child will grow in their understanding of the graces that they've received in that sacrament, but we don't see any reason to deny that or hold it off until they're, you know, a teenager or a young adult. There's no reason to do that. So we want to give God's grace to people as soon as we can. Do you think that's a generational thing, more more so today than maybe it was when you and I were infants? Well, there was a course of belief that a, a baby who who wasn't baptized that you know there was uncertainty as to whether they could go to heaven or not or where the, where their soul would go if they were to pass away tragically. But that's not never been really a, a teaching or an official belief of the church. So I think the thought was, you know, God forbid something would happen to a child, we want to make sure that at least they're baptized. So that probably generationally was a factor in getting it done as soon as possible. It was almost like when you were a new parent, you knew you had to get the the nursery set up, you knew you had to get them to the doctor for their shots, and you knew you had to get them to church for baptism. All that today, other than setting up the nursery, seems to have gone out the window. Yeah, I mean, isn't that unfortunate, you know, that we don't... uh Uh, consider certain things important anymore, you know, that could certainly be beneficial to our children, uh, both physically as well as spiritually in their lives. Well, it is a big season for not only our parents, but our children as we approach the Christmas season. When I was a child, I couldn't wait for the 25th to roll around. So as we close out our program today, would you lead us in a prayer that uh, keeps us focused on what the season is all about? Certainly. God, our Father, We ask that as we draw to the end of our Advent journey, and as we draw nearer to celebrating Christmas, prepare our hearts well and prepare our souls to receive your Son, Jesus Christ, with joy in our lives. We ask that we may not be distracted 
by all the good things that are happening at this time of year, but that we may remain focused on the true reason of what we celebrate at Christmas, your love through the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.